In this episode of Upper Calling, we talk about the importance of morality. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with the University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson on a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Friday. Well, how you doing, Josh? Kenny, I'm doing great on this episode of the Allergy Suffers United <laughs> podcast. I don't have allergies. I've, I've been going through a cold, but you do have allergies. What's your allergy to? Oh, man, I thought yours was allergy. Uh, well, I'm, I think I'm allergic to everything that grows in Florida. Um, <laughs> but right now, it's the the oak trees that are surrounding my house and have, have left about an inch of pollen uh, all around. That's That's kind of really sent me... For a loop, but uh, I'm I definitely have more of a voice than you have right now. Yeah, and unfortunately, my my job is is very contingent on my voice. So, uh, but you know, as a professor, we can get very creative in how we treat our students. So, I, I think I'll have to come up with some activities for my students tomorrow. But today, uh, you preached a lesson basically talking about morality. You started off by talking about the survival of Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah and why he was a remnant. One of the points that you made was that morality often does isolate us, uh, but we often pick and choose what we really want to be our morality. In other words, uh, there are some laws that for some reason just become a lot more important to us than others. Why do you think we do this? I don't know how much of it is a conscious picking and choosing. I think it's more of a what culture have you experienced and what are the changes that are happening in that culture? Which, by the way, the Bible tells us is what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Romans chapter 1, and we look at how the Gentile world departed from God, and you have those that constant refrain of God gave them over. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the mankind did not... Uh, you know, so for instance, toward the end of that chapter, he talks about how man in Romans one and verse twenty nine was filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, uh, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant. And it just keeps on going down the yeah. line. Well, that's not where man started. Yeah. I mean, Adam wasn't guilty of all of those things in the garden. But where it started was man not giving recognition to God for who he is, not being thankful to God, and the decline in morality and decline in righteousness just went from there. So God kept giving them over and over. So we think of the things that, that bother us, you know, in our society. And, and so, of course, you know, uh, in... America in 2022, you know, what we're being inundated with is the, you know, the homosexual agenda, uh, the, the notion of gender being fluid and not being something that's given by God or even scientific for that yeah. matter. And so these things really bother us and, and for, for good reason, they, they should bother mm-hmm. us. But there was a time in the not too distant past in our country where, you know, the idea of divorce was scandalous. Um, certainly the idea uh, of fornication uh, was scandalous too. Not that divorce and fornication didn't occur, they did, but it was still a a scandalous thing and and a thing that people were very upset about. Well, as society has 
made those things much more normalized. Yeah. Now in our society, these are the are the things that are next that are are promoted and have so much of the attention, and so they are what bother us. But of course, that's one of the things that we tried to focus on this morning, and in looking at um, the things that won't inherit the kingdom of God, as found in First Corinthians chapter six, and the things that are you know news items today. Uh, you know, again, homosexuality, gender issues. Yeah, yeah, those, those things. Uh, if we practice evil in those ways, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. But right. Neither will fornicators and adulterers and greedy people and and slanderers, you know. So all these things within our culture, we we are more tempted to to think of some things as as being major because they're the item of now, right? But we have to get back to you know where does God see all these things, and all these things are departure from who God is, and of course from His will for us. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. I. We we neither one were alive, but we've both heard about the temperance movement and and how how basically uh, drinking was outlawed at, at one point. Boy, we've taken a one eighty on that one, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, oh, I I understand that that society and culture will often have the the topics of the day, and different groups will have different representatives that are quite frankly better spoken. And can tell a, a more compelling narrative, and and can yeah. tell a really great story. And so, Kenny, I'll give one more example. Yeah. By the way, uh, given that today is Super Bowl Sunday, Kenny, when you and I, and granted, we're not the same generation, but we're not that far apart. Right. You know, about a decade difference in our in our ages mm-hmm. here. Um, you and I, when we were much younger, uh, if we were so inclined—not that I don't think either one of us were—if we were so inclined to place a wager on the Super Bowl, how are we going to do that? <laughs> Among friends, maybe maybe, maybe yeah. a, a pool with some friends, yeah, exactly you know. Right. But you, you weren't you weren't wagering money with MGM Sportsbook or anything like that, no. you know. And th- you know, if you were going to wager money in that way, you were dealing with a shady uh, bookie, yeah. you know, on, on a street corner somewhere. Not that they had those in Corner, Alabama, but you, you get my idea. Right. Well, I heard uh, a news item uh, yesterday or today. Thirty-one million Americans will wager on the Super Bowl. Oh tonight. my goodness. Because gambling is no longer a taboo at all no. in our society. Yeah. Uh, it, it, is, it is mainstream, and you can pull out your phone and, and log into any number of apps, and you can place a wager not only on the outcome of the game, how long is the national anthem going to mm-hmm. take, how many commercials are they going to have. You, know, you, can, you can gamble on all these things. And so, again, that would be something that was unheard of yeah. and viewed as being quite scandalous by, by a lot of society not that long ago. But it's just normalized now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've got a feeling it might become uh, taboo once again. The, the, the culture itself will change. Uh, there's only one thing that doesn't change. So, I, you know, interesting. I, I read an, an article yesterday, and I'm going to have to paraphrase here. Sure. I, I meant to even pull this out and even use it in the sermon this morning. But... It was a it was an article about how Playboy magazine has done a 180 on Hugh Hefner. Really? Because of yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. That um, you know, he is he is now 
persona non grata because of his attitudes and his actions, which certainly, you know, moral people have, have forever said, well, no, he was not a good person. Uh, but you know, he, he portrayed himself as a progressive and now he's, he's not. Um, but the, the writer of the article said that in America, morality is the sum total of what people think. Yeah. And of course that changes from moment to moment. Well, <laughs> we talked about this before, but we've uh, relativism that it's really just whatever you're exactly right. What do a lot of people think together and can they mobilize enough people to make a, a, a huge noise about it? So yeah, that, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, you use the, the Sodom and Gomorrah reference and, and I think that's a pretty extreme one. And of course, a, a more moral person like Lot would, would definitely stand out in, in such a depraved environment. But how do moral people stand out in societies that are largely more religious? I mean, to this day, there is still a majority of people in the United States who claim that there is a God, Josh? That's that's a great question. And it actually lets me get to something that I didn't have time to talk about this morning. Um, so I'm looking at the book of Zephaniah, and Zephaniah is one of these smaller prophets in the you know the Old Testament that we don't just spend a lot of time on. We don't we don't consider a lot. But the interesting thing about Zephaniah, and so I'm looking at Zephaniah chapter one, okay. and it talks about how the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. And it goes on to talk about how this was in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, again, those who are not that well-versed in the Old Testament, King Josiah may not mean that much too. But if you've studied your Old Testament, you know that Josiah is one of the most righteous kings that Judah ever had. It was during his time that the law was found, and so he kind of you know, instigate this this mass revival of law keeping and, and observing the Passover and you know making a covenant with God. And so Josiah is is very faithful. So Zephaniah is prophesying during his time. So again, we think about, you know, in America, a religious climate. Okay, maybe maybe there's some parallels yeah. here. And here's how the third chapter begins. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice, she accepted no instruction, she did not trust in the Lord, she did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are wolves at evening, they leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men, her priests have profaned the sanctuary, they have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. This tyrannical city he's talking about is not Nineveh of Assyria. It's not Babylon. It's Jerusalem. And and so God is saying, okay, this on the surface looks like a religious environment. It's got a religious king. It's got a righteous king. But the city itself, no, they're not following God at all. So in that context, skip down chapter 3 and verse 12. This is what God says. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. 
They will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. There's always going to be a standing out of those who are serious about what God wants from us. I referenced this morning, Matthew 5 and verse 20. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, Judah in you know the first century was a religious society. Mm-hmm. And, and that religion was typified by the religion of the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be better than that. Yeah. You, you've got to stand out. You've got to take to heart what God really wants from us. And that is a character molded after God's image. And and so in that sense, we're always going to stand out. Um, yeah, it, it may look a little more stark, you know, a lot in Solomon and Gomorrah than it would, you know, maybe us in, in, you know, some of our society, you know, in the last few decades. But there's still going to be this standing out, a differentiation uh, of what God's people really stand for and what the world at large stands for. Yeah, and, and to a certain extent, standing out in, in the United States is, is becoming not too terribly difficult because there's a large a large portion of it that has left so much of Christianity behind. What are you comparing yourself to? Um, if, if you want to compare yourself uh, to Jesus, you're never going to come away from that comparison looking very good. And and it, it probably makes a lot of sense to to do that more often. I, you know, honestly, one of the things that I've I've and I've told this to to my children before. Yes, you need to compare yourself to Jesus, but probably the best comparison you can make is is to yourself yesterday. Are you getting any better? Are you getting any worse? I think that's true when you when you look from the standpoint of I think Paul does that in Philippians where you know he yeah. talks about pressing on each day. Yeah. There, you always hold out for yourself the goal of perfection, right? You know, because if, if you know if the goal is well, I'll be better than I was. Well, okay, I'm better than I was, <laughs> so w- why keep pressing on? But you do take stock every day of of the trials that you've gone through and that God's seen you through, the temptations that He's aided you through. But you're you're continuing to step on with Christ set before you as this is what I'm striving yeah. for. Am I there today? No. Am I better than I was yesterday? Yes. Okay, then we're making progress. Let's keep moving on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that makes a lot a lot of sense to me. You, you also brought up Lot's wife. It's easy to criticize Lot's wife. She should not have looked back. She was explicitly told not to look back. Like so many people, characters in the Bible, it's easy for us to point fingers at someone and say, how foolish were they? And not recognize that we are doing something as bad or sometimes even worse than what those characters do. Some of us have have tried to have a foot in Christianity and one foot in the world. What's the danger of that? And why do we do that? Well, of course, the the danger in that is what, what, in fact, a, a sister who contacted me after the lesson today, and the way she put it was, we're not told to be Christian-ish. We're told to fully buy into Christ, yeah. you know, and that, that's that's a big difference. Uh, being a disciple is is a lifestyle; it is a, a complete following, and so you know, just that notion you know, necessitates that we can't we can't follow one thing and, and be enthralled with the other. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear in Matthew six, where you can't serve two masters; you'll either love the one and hate the other. You know, you you can't you can't do both. Right. So it's just an impossibility. Now, why we do it? And, and, you know, going back to Lot's wife, that's what we know. Right. You know, um, what she knew 
was what she had in Sodom. Was it perfect? No, clear, clearly not. You read Genesis 19, Sodom has put her family in danger. Uh, so it, it is not a, a, a great place to live, but it's what she knew. Yeah. And we get comfortable with what we know. You know, you, you we think of the disciples and we think of all the warts that Peter and the other apostles had, yet they are the ones who are willing to leave what they knew and follow Jesus. And so when we, when we find ourselves looking back, it's because, you know, God's promising me a home in heaven, yeah. but I don't know what that's going to be like. Right. I know what having wealth on earth looks like. I know what having pleasure on earth looks like. And, and so I kind of want the things that, that I know what they look like. And so this is where, you know, ultimately when we talk about so oftentimes in the scripture, you know, salvation is by faith. Faith is ultimately, okay, what God is saying he has in store for us. You know, that, again, that from Second uh, Peter 3 this morning, you know, we're looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yeah. I don't know what that kind of existence is like, but he says it's there and he says it's worthwhile. So do I have enough faith in him, trust in him to say, okay, this is what I want. I know what money and pleasure and power and all that is like, but will I have enough faith to say, I'm, I'm wanting what you're promising, even though I, I don't have experience in, in what that's going to be like. Right. Substituting in the word trust for faith makes a lot of sense to me. Because do you trust God enough? Do you trust God enough that he's going to take care of you? Just very frankly, sometimes I don't. And that's on me. That's me being stupid and silly. Sometimes I don't trust enough and I just need to learn to trust more. And that's when I'm like Lot's wife. Uh, I need to trust that, that the God who has always kept his promises is probably going to keep this one too. So mm -hmm. maybe I should just trust him and what he's telling me. Yeah, agreed. Phil Roberts, an old Bible teacher who's long since left, he talked about how obscure most of these characters of the Bible were in their time. But of all the characters in those times, these are the only characters we know anymore. That people with a moral center end up having a really outsized influence with those around them. Do you think that's true? And, and if so, why? And if not, why not? That's a really, that's a really interesting thought. It does make me think of, of one principle from Genesis 18 that I didn't talk about this morning. And that is, as, as Abraham is bargaining with God, and he says, God, you know, won't you, won't you spare Sodom if they're 50? Uh, won't you spare them if there's 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? Yeah. And God is willing to do that. Uh, ultimately, there's not 10 righteous people found in Sodom. Right. And you think of what we read in passages like Second Peter three and verse nine. You know the, the God is patient. God is not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. One of the ways in which the moral have an outsized influence is if I take God at His word and what He said to Abraham. A lot of judgments may be held back by the very fact that there are righteous. Yeah. You know why is the why is the United States of America still standing? Is it because we're we're so moral and righteous and and we're deserving of it? I don't think so. But maybe there's enough moral people here, enough righteous people here that are trying to follow God that that God's saying, you know what, 
it's it's not a good world, but you guys are are trying to be salt and light, and and so from that standpoint, you're you're saving your neighbors right now. Um, you know, I I, I don't know, and I don't know that I even gets anywhere near an answer to your question, but it was something that that kind of you know just spoke to me in, in Genesis 18 that God was willing to save, at least to spare. A, a city is depraved as Sodom if there were 10 righteous people there. Yeah. Well, that's a, certainly an outsized influence on, on a city like that. And, and you know, when we think about our morality, our morality has everything to do with our salvation. Yeah. Our morality also has to do with the salvation of the people around us. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I would say, just to add on to what you're saying, I spend far more time with people at work than people at church. And I love a lot of the people I work with. But if I had to count on somebody to do something, I would count on somebody from church over somebody at work. Why? I know the value system we're both ascribing to. And I know, so for example, somebody at work if if they if they had something that came up and I, they had to either ditch me or or something at work i'd probably get ditched I, I understand that but if i ask somebody from church who's a good friend of mine to do something i trust that more well, let me put that in more biblical language i have more faith in them to come through why because I know what they're stri- what they're striving for. Mm-hmm. Those people who I see less often have a much more outsized influence on my life than people that I spend hours a day with during the work week. That says something that God has basically created a set of morals that that surround me with people who are worth spending time with. Does that make sense? It does. It does. When we're the more and more we're like him, then the greater that influence is going to be. Well, I've got two more questions, Josh, and one of them was from a listener. Uh, this is a listener who also happens to be under my roof and partially under Florida College's roof. So Jake, Jake asked this one. Uh, he said, "Standing out to the world and standing out to God are two different things. How do we know we are standing out to God?" That's a good question. Um, so I'm going to go back with, um, you know, current events, what's, what's happening today. Okay. There are people that are going to be noted by the world tonight. There, there are professional athletes who someone's going to win a Super Bowl. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. at the same time, people in China, uh, they're having the Olympics there. If you didn't know, you know there's going to be gold medals given out. There's going to be people doing things that are, are beyond me. They're beyond you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're beyond Jake too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who knows? He, he might could try speed skating, you know, <laughs> at this point in life and still make a go of it. Um, but, you know, the, these things will be celebrated. So the world celebrates different things. You know, the world will celebrate achievement. It'll celebrate power. I'll go back to the Super Bowl tonight. The Super Bowl halftime show tonight is a, a 90s throwback. But it's a 90s throwback to the days of gangster rap. It is, it is Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, and, and, and all these guys. And, and so there is all this fanfare of all this that's going on. That, all right, how, how great is this? And 
really? (laughs) (laughs) The, 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 the musical content here is not something that should be celebrated. Right. Now it's maybe nostalgic, but this is going to stand out. This is going to be, be taken note of. God's people are taken note of, and we'll go back to Jesus' words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Yeah. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are the qualities that the world doesn't really take note of. These are the qualities that the world doesn't celebrate, that they don't make the, the headlines of the newspapers. Achievement, power, success, yeah. that, that makes the headlines. And what God is saying is, my king, uh, Paul Earnhardt puts it this way, it's a kingdom for wimps. Yeah. It's a kingdom for losers. Uh, because by the world's metrics, that's what we are. Yeah. But when we're more like God and, and take on that moral uh, quality, that's who's blessed. That's who stands out. That's who gets noticed by God. I couldn't agree more. I, I've said this before, and I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, Josh. I don't know why. But God keeps on wanting to create a character in us. And and he keeps on telling us to take out parts of ourselves that are quite frankly not worth that much. But he keeps on wanting us. The first century, first century Jews were looking for a kingdom, a very specific physical kingdom. And, and Jesus keeps on saying, I need you to create a character. I need you to create a person uh, that, that more resembles God. And there's something just beautiful about that. He's not raising armies of, of troops. He's he's raising armies of, of people of character. And that that to me is is just a, a, an amazing thought. So anyway, um let's get back to the the very last question that we always ask, which is how does being a more mindful person of our morality help us pursue the upward call of God? I'll go back to what you were just saying. Morality is not a matter of God just giving us a bunch of laws and rules to keep. Morality is a character. Morality is the character of God. Mm-hmm. And that's the upper call. We're, we're called to be like him. And so morality is everything to do with that upper call because that's who we're striving to be like. So whether we're talking about honesty, whether we're talking about purity, whether we're talking about you know uh, charity, all these things are a part of God's nature. And so when he tells us to be these things and to do these things, that's morality because that's who God is. And he wants us to have that same character. Yeah. If you want to put training wheels on that, take one of the fruits of the spirit in Galatians five, practice that for a day or two, practice that all week. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because that, I mean, that that's, that's the, the character of God right there. Anyway, yep. are you going to be preaching next week, Josh? I am. I am. You're getting yeah, back two, into two the gates, aren't you? I tell you. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so, yes, I am. And next week, uh, this has a little bit of a youth uh, focus in mind. Uh, the, the lesson was originally done for a youth class that I was doing, but I think it's going to have application for everybody, and that's defending against peer pressure. Oh. So we're going to be talking about peer pressure. And one of the things we're going to do is we'll note, you know, we oftentimes reserve peer pressure for kind of the – the big things like, you know, sexual immorality, alcohol and drugs, and really peer pressure is about all kinds of things. And and we all can find ourselves susceptible to it. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Well, looking forward to that, Josh. So I'll tell you what, let's talk about that next week, man. All right, Kenny. Hope you feel better. You too, man. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, 
you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. We have all of our information at universitychurchofchrist.org, including the sermon that we discuss in this episode. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.